talking about. <laughs> Come on up, Dave. Uh, we're, uh, we're in this wonderful transition um, uh, Sunday where we tra- we're transitioning from this whole theme of together for tomorrow, sort of wrapping that up with our, t- our tomorrow leaders, and also looking into what we're going to be start doing in the summertime. In the summertime, our teaching on Sundays will be, uh, our, our summer teaching will be focused on uh, a real God meeting with real people. We're going to look through some Old Testament incidents over the summer, and Dave's going to start us off in that this morning. Ushers, I'm sorry, uh, we'll be receiving our offering after the teaching time this morning. Sorry about that. Uh, we will be, you can get it ready and uh, get turned on, and, and the offering will be greater after Dave teaches us this morning. <laughs> Dave, uh, welcome, on, uh, welcome, to, uh, yeah. welcome to our staff, Dave. Uh, and can we give Dave a hand uh, together? <laughs> Just, just two brief things. Two brief things. Uh, where'd you grow up? Uh, born in Red Deer, but raised in Sherwood Park for the past 19 years. So Awesome. So you're a greater Edmonton boy. Greater so Edmonton. Edmonton is home. So you're not yes, going to be running is. off back home to us someday. No. This is cool. Yeah. Uh, we love Edmonton people serving <laughs> in an Edmonton church. <laughs> yeah. What's your dream? My dream. Uh, Mel asked me this five minutes before service. I was like, oh, that's a deep question for five minutes. But uh, for 30 seconds. For 30, oh, 30 uh, seconds. I lost half my time there. Okay. Um, my dream, as I was thinking about it, is I know uh, a lot of people, uh, good friends of mine who've left the church uh, during youth group, uh, as young adults, whatever it was. Um, and so I looked, and I, as I talked to people, they said there was two reasons that people left church, uh, and it was they never connected uh, with a real community. They never felt engaged with the people around them. Uh, and the second one is that they never experienced a real relationship or a real experience with God. And so as I looked at, at those two things, I think that's my dream, is that everybody who comes to church would experience a real community and real connections with people and experience an encounter with the real God. So we've got you in the right job. In the right job, Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, God bless you, Dave, Thank as you. you teach us this morning. <laughs> to awkwardly share music stands with people. It's good. Uh, today we got to hear two stories. Uh, we got to hear from Gabe and Paige. Uh, I really enjoyed it, talking about uh, grace and Jesus. And I really relate to both stories. Uh, I, like Gabe, went to Vanguard College, a uh, different college, but I went for one year saying, okay, God, you've got one year, and then I'm going to go do my own thing. I want to be an engineer. Uh, and over that one year, at the very, towards the end, God kind of went, no, you're staying, and then I got my degree. So I, I really relate to that one. I also relate to pages because I also have all my leg hair. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but these stories and kind of our, our theme for today is talking about identity. And, and the question we have is, who am I? Uh, it's a question that may prompt a small existential crisis in some of you. Um, but I think it's a vitally important question for us to answer. Because whether it's conscious or not, we all have an identity. We all have names uh, that we put on ourselves, right? Adjectives we use, attitudes, assumptions, uh, things that we decide about our ability, about our value, about our worth. And the truth is that we all have an identity that is less than what God has for us. And I want to say that again. We all have an identity that is less 
than what God has for us. It's true in Gabe's story. It's true in Paige's story. It's true in the Bible. And so today we're going to be looking through the story of Jacob, which I believe is on my sign here. Yes, we're good. It's the right way. Um, And we're going to be following him through his encounter with a real God. And we're going to look at how his identity has changed. And as we're going through this, I want everyone to reflect on the question, who am I? So I'll set the scene. In the book of Genesis, we're introduced to three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so God speaks to Abraham in Genesis 12, and he makes a promise with him. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is a promise of land. It is a promise of descendants and of material wealth. Uh, But beyond that, it is a special designation as the people of God. And in Genesis 26, Abraham passes this blessing onto his son Isaac. And then Isaac, as we approach our story, is wanting to pass this blessing on to his eldest son, as would be tradition. But there's a problem. And it's that God wants the blessing to go to the younger son, the younger of his twin sons, Jacob. So it says in Genesis 25, 23 to 26, uh, this is God speaking to uh, Jacob's mother. He said, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When her time came to give birth, there were indeed twins in her womb. The first one came out red-looking, covered with hair like a fur coat, and they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, grasping Esau's heel with his hand, so he was named Jacob. And right here, we encounter the character of our story, Jacob. But at the same time, we're getting a glimpse at the identity of Jacob. It says in verse 26, his brother came out grasping Esau's heel. Thus, he was named Jacob. And so the name Jacob sounds similar to the Hebrew word for heel, as he was grasping the heels, he came out, but there's a deeper connotation about who he is. It's not just his action in birth, but to grasp someone by the heel is an ancient figure of speech that means to deceive. And so when Rebecca names her second son Jacob, she is not only naming him for his action in birth of grasping the heel, but she is labeling him as a deceiver. And in this first verse, Jacob is already having an identity put on him. The next story of Jacob and Esau is found in Genesis 25, 29 to 34. And Esau has become a mighty hunter, and Jacob spends most of his time around the camp. And one day Esau comes up to Jacob, who's cooking some red stew, right? Something hearty, something filling. And Esau strolls into the camp and he says, give me some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Or maybe I am exhausted, right? And we jump back in 25, Genesis 25, 31. And Jacob replies, First, sell me your birthright. Not a fair trade, but uh, Esau replies, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? And so Jacob says, swear to me first. So he swears to Jacob and he sells him his birthright. And then Jacob gives him bread and lentil stew. And Esau eats, he drinks, and he gets up and he goes away. And Jacob manipulates his brother out of his birthright. He takes what is not rightfully his 
and he doesn't even give his brother hearty red stew. He gives him lentil stew. Who even likes lentil stew? Uh, I think I might have rather starved, but if you brought it for the church picnic, hopefully somebody eats it. Um, I'll just be at the other table. Later on, Jacob is then manipulated by his mother into stealing Esau's blessing from his father. And so Isaac, Jacob's father, he's gone blind. He's close to death. He's quite old. And he says to Esau, go catch some wild game. Make me some stew. And once I've eaten it, I will bless you. And Jacob's mother hears what's about to happen and so as Esau goes up to hunt, she goes to, she goes to Jacob and she says, we need to trick him so that you get the blessing. And so Jacob goes, he makes a stew. Uh, he puts pelts over his skin so that he will feel like Esau. He wears Esau's clothes. He tells his father that God blessed him and that he was able to find the game quite quickly. But really, he's just taken goats from the flock. And so his father feels his skin and believes he is Esau because of the pelts. Uh, His father hears his voice and questions him, but Jacob assures him that he is Esau. His father smells the clothes he is wearing and goes, oh, this is my son. Some of you with junior high boys may recognize that feeling, but (laughs) Isaac is now satisfied that this is indeed Esau, and he offers him a blessing. It is the blessing of authority, of land, and of fertility that was given to Abraham back in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. It is the blessing that rests upon the people of God. And so Jacob has deceived his brother, he has deceived his father, and he has wrongfully taken a hold of both the blessing and the birthright that were Esau's. He's living up to his name as a deceiver. And soon afterward, Esau arrives with his stew so that he can receive the blessing. And Isaac tells him, Genesis 27, 35, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. So he, Esau, said, isn't he rightly named Jacob, for he has cheated me twice now. He took my birthright, and now he has taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you saved a blessing for me? Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And Esau determines in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And so when Jacob hears of Esau's plan, he flees to Padamaram. And we're just going to do a high-fly look at some of the next major events that occur in Jacob's life. So Jacob, on his way to Padamaram, he has a strange dream of angels marching up and down a ladder, and he attributes this dream to God, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. It shows there is distance in his relationship with God. It is not his God, it is the God of his father and his grandfather. He arrives in Padam Aram, and he falls in love with this girl, Rachel, and he commits seven years of his life to serving her father in order to win her hand. And seven years later, Jacob gets married, but he is tricked by the father into marrying his other daughter, Leah. And so Jacob commits another seven years of his life so that he can marry Rachel, the girl that he really loves. Laban, this is the father, then tries to cheat Jacob out of his flocks, but Jacob outsmarts him. And he grows quite wealthy. And Laban's sons become quite concerned about the wealth of Jacob. And as soon as Jacob begins to feel this tension, he takes his wives, his family, and the flocks that are his, and he flees. As he's fleeing, he has an encounter with God. Once again, it's the God of Bethel. This is where he had the dream before. 
But he builds an altar there, and he builds the altar to the God of his father, the God of his grandfather, and the God of his great-grandfather. Again, there's still distance and disconnection. And on the way home, he has to cross through the lands of his brother Esau. And so he divides all his possessions into two camps. He sends one half in three different convoys towards Esau, and he sends the other half across the river for safekeeping. And so who is Jacob? Jacob is a deceiver in name, but he is a coward who flees his problems. He is a cheater. He is a manipulator. He is self-reliant. He always has a system and a solution for any problems. We don't know the nature of his faith, but scripture points to it being distant and disconnected. Deceiver may have been Jacob's name, but conscious or not, all these other characteristics defined him. But things change when people have an encounter with the real God. And so as Jacob is awaiting his brother Esau, he sends his three convoys off. He sends everyone else across the river. And as night falls, he finds himself alone. And suddenly, a man appears. Kind of picture it like a movie where you get the jump scare as it's panning. And all of a sudden, the person's just there. And you're like, ugh. Right? Jacob is left alone. In Genesis 32, it tells us, A man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. And he said to Jacob, let me go, for it is daybreak. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name, the man asked. Jacob, he replied. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men, and have prevailed. And J.I. Packer describes the same story this way. I think this is very powerful. He says, That night, as Jacob stood alone by the river Jabbok, God met him. There were hours of desperate, agonized conflict. Spiritual, and as it seemed to Jacob, physical also. Jacob had a hold of God. He wanted a blessing an assurance of divine favor and protection in this crisis. But he could not get what he sought. Instead, he grew ever more conscious of his own state, utterly helpless, and without God, utterly hopeless. He felt the full bitterness of his unscrupulous, cynical ways now coming home to roost. He had hitherto been self-reliant, believing himself to be much more than a match for anything that might come. But now he felt his complete inability to handle things. And he knew with blinding, blazing certainty that he could never again dare trust himself to look after his own destiny. Never again dare he try to live by his own wits. And so the nature of Jacob's prevailing with God was simply that he held on to God while God weakened him and wrought in him the spirit of submission and self-distrust. The nature of his prevailing is that Jacob desired God's blessing so much that he clung to God through all the painful humbling till he came low enough for God to raise him up by speaking peace to him and assuring him that he need not fear Esau anymore. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob prevailed over his brother, he prevailed over his father, he prevailed over his uncle, all by his own means. 
He overcame them by means of deception. He ran away from his problems like a coward. He cheated people out of what should have been theirs. But in his struggle with God, he overcomes by losing. He has striven with men and prevailed because he always came out on top. And he has striven with God and prevailed because he has submitted to God and come into the identity that God has for him. And so when you lose to God, you ultimately win. And in Genesis 33, we get to see the newly named Israel interacting with Esau. It's not just his name that has changed, but it is his character as well. As Esau encounters Jacob, they reunite as brothers and are reconciled. In Genesis 33, 10 to 11, Jacob says, If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepts it. Jacob is not hiding his resources as he did when he sent them in separate directions to trick Esau. He's not manipulating his brother. He simply gives him the property because he has all he needs. He demonstrates humility in the interaction. He ascribes the glory and the blessings of his wealth to God. And in Genesis 33, 19 to 20, Jacob buys some land and he erects an altar. Right? He sets up an altar and he called it El Elohi Israel. The altar is called God, the God of Israel. We see the transformation of Jacob's faith life. No longer is it the God of his father, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather, but it is the God of Israel. It is his God, the real God that he encountered. Genesis 35, 9-13 is a reiterization and a formalization of this name change. And God appears to Jacob again, and God says, Your name is Jacob. You will no longer be named Jacob, but your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation, indeed an assembly of nations, will come from you. Kings will descend from you. And I will give you the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac. And I will give that land to your future descendants. Then God withdrew from him at the place where he had spoken. And this draws the Jacob narrative to a climax. Jacob was a liar who cheated and deceived his family to take the birthright and the blessing. He runs away a coward. He pushes away his faith. But after an encounter with God, he emerges a new man. He emerges having been rightfully blessed as the heir to the covenant instead of stealing and manipulating it out of his brother and his father. Jacob has returned to the land promised to Abraham. He's disposed of his other gods and of the idols. He suggests a commitment of allegiance to the one true God. God has exerted his authority over Jacob by renaming him Israel, and he's reiterated the covenant blessing over him. And so Jacob's identity was less than what God has for him. And Jacob, through submission, receives a new identity. And likewise, all of us have an identity. But through submission, we can receive a new one. Through submission, we can take a hold of the name and the identity that God has for us. And so if you remember back to the beginning of my message, I asked us all to keep one question in mind. Who am I? Right, what would you put on the sign at the front here? What things that people have said about you, what things that you say about yourself, would you write there? 
Jacob was a deceiver, he was a liar, he was a coward, he was distant, he was manipulative, he was self-reliant, but he takes hold of a new identity as Israel. And so what is on the board of your life? Is it the board over here or is it one of the boards that's over there? Would it be liar or deceiver like Jacob? Would it be coward? Would it be victim? Maybe it'd be worthless? What is your name? What name are you holding on to that God doesn't want you to hold on to? God wants to give you a new name. God wants you to have a new identity in him. And so you may think your name is fear, but God wants to give you a name that's full of courage. And you may think your name is lost, but God wants to name you found. You may think your name is helpless, but God wants to name you helped. You may think your name is dead, but God wants to name you born again. You may think you're alone, but God wants to name you his child. And there's so many things that I could write on this board. I could write worthless, hopeless, alone, people pleaser, broken, secondary, all names that I've held on to for a time. But I can tell you today that those aren't my names. Right? My name is child of God. My name is saved by grace. My name is bought with a price. My name is son of the king. And so what is your name? I'm going to invite the worship team up, and in a moment they'll play. But I want to take a few moments as a congregation to reflect on two questions. One question, really. But it's what is your name? What is the name that you would put on the board? What is your name? And what is the name that God has for you? And you don't need to have an answer today. You don't need to to know exactly what you would write on those boards. But take a few moments here and reflect on what your name is and what name God wants you to have.